You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Everybody doing all right? Yeah, all right, all right. Do we, do we not serve coffee this morning? I'm just trying to, trying to figure what's going on in the people of God this morning. Like, where are y'all at? Like, like family weekend, where are the college students out? And All right, so hey, if you have your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 13. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. So I'm going to talk through a little bit of this text, and then I want to offer us some practices, or or should I say later on, a practice that we're going to take on as a church. All right, so if you are not new here, this um, this will be old stuff. In the words of John, this will be review. If you're new here, this may be um, maybe somewhat new, it may be a refresher, I don't know, but let's uh, get after it. So Hebrews is this letter that was written to the Christians who were Jews. So these are Jewish believers, these are people of uh, Jewish descent who have come into faith in Jesus Christ as the King of Israel. So they believe, at this point, that Jesus is really the fulfillment of prophecy and is the climax, the climax, the whole, like, where, where God is going in the story of Israel. And so they have pledged their allegiance to Jesus, and if you read Hebrews, you'll notice it has lots of, like, Torah Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, lots of like sacrifice laws, speaks to the prophets, speaks to the priesthood, lots of imagery to try and remind these believers that Jesus is the fulfillment uh, or is the climax of God's story, that, that all that you've read in the Hebrew scriptures is summed up in the person of Jesus, which Jesus claimed, right, in John 5. He said, everything you read is summed up on me. Everything you've ever thought about the Bible is actually embodied, like it's leading and pointing you as a signpost to me. Right, so he's closing out the letter. And so keep in mind, some of this language, the people who receive this letter, they're going to get it. For some of us, we're going to have to rethink it. So he starts off, he says, let brotherly love, well, first off, he talks about how God, look at verse uh, 28 of chapter 12, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom, everybody say receiving. All right, we're receiving. We haven't received it in full. We aren't going to receive it. We are presence tense, actively receiving it. Therefore, since we have we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us hold on to grace. By it, we may serve God acceptably with reverence and love, for our God is a consuming fire. He said, let this brotherly love continue, chapter 13, verse 1. Don't neglect to show hospitality. Everybody say hospitality. Don't neglect to show hospitality, for by doing so, some have welcomed angels as guests without even knowing it. Now, real quick pause, that's Genesis 18. If you have your Bibles or if you're in the version, um, you'll see the notes there. It's in the notes for you in the version app. But it's Genesis 18 where God reveals God's self to Abraham and Sarah, or Abram and Sarah, as three angels. It's God revealing God's self to them as angels. As a matter of fact, the Scripture says that the Lord revealed himself, the Lord visited Abram. So when Abram welcomed these three strangers, three strangers, that's interesting, right? Three strangers. He welcomed these three strangers, gave them their best. He gave these three strangers his best, best flower, best calf, best everything, welcomed them in. In doing so, he was extending hospitality to God. And he got a blessing. He got a blessing. All right. 
So the writer says, don't neglect to show hospitality, for by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. Remember the prisoners as though you were in prison with them. In other words, that's solidarity, that's empathy, that's compassion. Remember the prisoners as if you were with them and the mistreated, as though you yourselves were suffering bodily. Like, so there's a call to solidarity. There's a call to solidarity because there's a call to hospitality. There's a call to compassion because there's a call to hospitality. There's a call to empathy because there's a call to hospitality. There's a call to generosity because there's a call to hospitality. Everybody say hospitality. Why am I talking about hospitality? Without it, because or, you know, they commanded to not neglect hospitality. But oftentimes we forget what hospitality really means. So in the Greek word, here's a nerd moment. In the Greek word, hospitality, the Greek word for hospitality is philoxenia. 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 It's two words, philo and xenia. Philo means kinship love. Everybody say kinship love. Xenia means for strangers. Everybody say strangers. So if you translate hospitality literally, it translates, do not neglect to show a kinship love for strangers. Specifically, strangers who are far from home. See, in the scriptures, especially in the ancient Near Eastern tradition, going back to Abraham, hospitality was a pillar upon which all morality stood. So if you were inhospitable, you weren't rude, you were immoral. So if you just let a stranger walk by without something to eat and you had something to eat, immoral, rude. Right, if you let a stranger walk by without something to drink and they needed something to drink, immoral. If you let a stranger walk by at sunrise, sunset, and they had nowhere to stay, and you had an empty room or you just had a tent <clears throat> and you didn't offer them someone to stay, immoral. That's how these Hebrew Christians are going to receive this text. This isn't invite people that you like over for sandwiches. This isn't invite your family and your auntie and your uncle and your cousins over for a good meal. This isn't extend hospitality to people that you know. This is extend kinship love. Love people like families. Love people like family. Extend kinship love to strangers. Strange people. People who are estranged. People who are displaced. People who are marginalized. People who do not have the resources they need in the given moment. Are you with me? That's in the language. But it's also in our story. Right? It's in the Christian story. Because we're estranged from God. Right? Like that's the way the story unfolds. First off, God makes a home for us to dwell with God. Remember that Genesis 1? And he makes a home for us. So God is this divine homemaker, extending hospitality to the world, opening space for creation to flourish, for the flowers to flourish, for the sky to flourish, for the animals and the trees, for everything to flourish. And he creates, <clears throat> he creates humanity in his image. And he makes room in his divine life for us. And so God is this homemaking God of hospitality who makes room for all of us in God's life. And in the Genesis story, we say we want to go our own way. And so what happens? We're estranged. We have wandered from home. And so what does God do? Does God give up? No, God sets out. God sets out as this divine God who is a homemaking God of hospitality. He sets out and he provides 
banner in the wilderness for his people and a cloud by day and a pillar by night. Over and over and over again, the biblical story shows a God who is extending God's self and God's welcome to God's beloved people who are estranged from God and who deserve estrangement. Everybody say, deserved it. I just want to follow. We're going to do some, we got to do some talking back and forth this morning because, you know, we didn't have a coffee ready or something was going on. So I want to make sure we're here because this is important. Because this is a command. This isn't a suggestion. The writer of Hebrews, whoever the writer is, <clears throat> have a couple of people and a woman in mind who could have written this text. Says to the Christians at the end of the chapter, do not forget, which means do not neglect. Which means, don't stop showing hospitality. Because in doing so, some have been known to welcome in the divine. And so Jesus says in Matthew 25, For I was hungry, and you what? Gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you what? Come on, gave me something to drink. I was naked. And you what? Clothed me. I was in prison. Uh-oh, that's here. And you visited me. I was sick. And you what? Took care of me. I was a stranger. And you what? Welcomed me. And the righteous hear Jesus say that, and they say, Lord, 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 Lord. When do we see you hungry, thirsty, naked, in prison, sick, or a stranger? What does Jesus say? Whatever you've done for the least of these, the least of these, like the worse off, like, notice that Jesus said and say, whatever you've done for these folks. He said, whatever you've done for the least of these, the ones who are like the worst of the worst of the worst of these categories, of these descriptions, whatever you've done for them, you have done what? To me. Not even for me. The language is to me. We welcome others as if we welcome Christ. And when we do not welcome others, guess who we may not be welcoming? Come on now. Christ. So the writer of Hebrews wants to make sure that the church doesn't neglect hospitality, doesn't neglect a life that pursues a kinship love for strangers, a life of philoxenia. You know the problem is with a life of philoxenia, of a kinship love for strangers, is we live in a culture of xenophobia. You know what xenophobia is? It's a fear of strangers. So every day when, when us Christians wake up and we put our feet to the ground, we are putting our feet to the ground as a people committed to philoxenia in a culture of xenophobia. We are putting our feet to the ground as a people committed to a kinship love for strangers in a culture of stranger danger. And that's problematic. And we have good reasons for it, don't we? Because we say, you know, like strangers are dangerous. Right, like they could stab you, like stranger danger, right? Like they could, they could hurt you. We fear the other, especially if the other doesn't look like us or doesn't share our sociocultural experiences or our skin or our ethnic heritage or our ancestry. And so we look at the stranger and we begin to see them as strange and we begin to self-protect and self-preserve because strangers can't be loved. And we live in a culture of a fear of strangers. And you know what the problem with fear is? Fear drives out love. But you know what the Bible teaches in 1 John is that love drives out fear. The only way for a church to live into a culture of a kinship love for strangers is to come closer to the strangers. Come on, are you with me? We got to come closer. Notice it didn't say coming to us. 
Matter of fact, if you look at Romans chapter, uh, chapter 14, and then you go back two chapters to chapter 12. <laughs> so if you go to Romans chapter 12, you see the language. Share with the saints in their needs, pursue hospitality. The word pursue there in the Greek means aggressively hunt after or aggressively chase after. Hospitality means a kinship love of strangers. The command to the church is to aggressively hunt after, aggressively trace after a kinship love for strangers. But we are too busy aggressively running from. And that's a problem. Now, there's a lot of reasons. Again, it could be fears. It could be other things. But I just want to present that it also could be just the American culture. It could be the way we set things up in society. A stranger is someone to be feared, especially if they didn't earn their way here, aren't from around here, don't look like the majority culture. The stranger expects too much of me. Sure, I think it could be entitlement that keeps us from loving strangers. I think it could be a sense of share, a sense of ownership, a sense of pride, a sense of fear, a sense of nationalism, a sense of a lot of things. But I'm not talking about Babylon. I'm talking about the kingdom of God. I'm talking about us who live here. What's our guiding ethic? What's the way that we should go? We should pursue a kinship love for strangers. We should welcome the strange ones rather than blocking the strange ones out from the table of the Lord. And again, it's central to our story, right? Like, think about the table. Like, look at the table. Do this and what does it say at the front? Do this and what? Remembrance of me. It's almost on every Eucharist table you see. Do this on remembrance of members, remembrance of me. Remembrance of what, Jesus? Who did Jesus take table with? An enemy. Remember that? He took table with Judas. Did Jesus ask Judas to leave? No, Judas left. Did Jesus ask Judas to leave? No, Jesus welcomed Judas to his table. Judas left. Jesus took table with Peter. Peter did what? Denied Jesus three times. Peter abandoned Jesus. Peter dipped. He bounced. He left. Jesus took table with Peter. Matter of fact, Jesus took Peter with a table with all the disciples. And all disciples but one disciple. At least the male. The women were there. I just want to say that for the ladies. The women didn't leave Jesus at the cross. I'm serious. It's in the story. Sisters didn't leave. The fellas leave. And of all the fellas at the table, only one stayed, John. Jesus took table. He took body and blood, bread and cup with enemies with betrayers, and with abandoners. And I thank God he did because that means I'm welcome too. Because I betrayed and I've abandoned. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's probably the case for all of us in some way. And so if Jesus welcomes all to the table, Extends a kinship love for the estranged ones, then we should too. It's not up for debate. Hey, let Capitol Hill debate that, but Calvary's Hill's already settled the debate. I have no idea how to do things on, like, like policy. Like, I don't know policy. I'm not smart enough for any of that. Jesus has settled the dispute for the church. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. 
I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. And I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these beloved, these brothers and sisters, these kinfolks of mine, you did for me. You did to me. That is our Jesus. And God welcomes all of us to the table. God welcomes all of us. God welcomed us all. God welcomed us all. And he wanted us to know that he welcomed us all because he put skin on. And he put this brown skin on from Nazareth as a son of Joseph and Mary, as the son of the divine. And he walked the margins of Galilee and he extended God's welcome and hospitality to the margins of Galilee. And he welcomed the marginalized into the light of God that is what Jesus did and he calls us to do the same so beloved Christians members of the royal priesthood of God citizens of God's holy nation God's chosen beloved let Capitol Hill debate as long as they like Calvary's Hill has settled the debate for the church we love the strangers, and we welcome them here because we welcome them, Romans 15, we welcome them as Christ has welcomed us. Let me read it, Romans 15. Therefore, welcome one another just as Christ has welcomed you to the glory of God. So how are we going to do that? Well, if... Philoxenia is a kinship love for strangers and we have to enter into it relationally, then we have to be able to move toward proximity, meaning we have to move toward those who are estranged. So five years ago, this church put our name on a list to welcome refugees and asylum seekers. Five years ago. How many years ago? I want to make sure we know. Five years ago. So not like last week. So this isn't new. Five years ago, this church put our name on a list to welcome asylum seekers and refugees, especially those, well, from anywhere, but especially those at the time from Afghanistan who were promised welcome into these borders. And we didn't hear a call. There's lots of reasons for that. So much so that we had Sharon Powell, who's an attorney, an immigration attorney, and a Christian sister come and speak one Sunday morning and then share with us Sunday night in an open Q&A, an open question and answer, as to how the immigration system works and how complicated it is. Now, real quick, I want to pause for a minute. It remind, reminded of something that happened that Sunday we had Sharon here. See, that Sunday that we had Sharon here, I stood up in a room filled with people. And my 12-year-old son was in the back. And I began to talk about how over 2,000 times Yahweh talks about welcoming taking care of, loving the widow, the immigrant, the orphan, and the poor. That was his widow, immigrant, orphan, and the poor campaign. That was his women and immigrants, like widows and immigrants and poor, the vulnerable. It was about vulnerability. It wasn't about value. It was about vulnerability. 
Because he knew that the way Israelite society would be is that somebody would centralize power and then somebody would be on the margins. So really, the widow, the immigrant, the orphan, and the poor lacked social capital. Are you with me? They lacked social capital. And so Yahweh knew that they would lack social capital in a fallen society, so he made provision. He made provision in the scriptures. 2,000 times made provision to make sure that they weren't lost and they weren't left out and they weren't least. As a matter of fact, so much provision that if you owned an olive field, now I've never owned an olive field. I like olives, but I've never owned an olive field. If you own an olive field and you were picking your olives, I guess you pick olives. Is that what you do? Is you pick olives? I don't know what you do, but you know, if the olives fall while you're picking the olives. Let's just say you pick olives. I don't know what you do. But if the olives fall, you know, what you're, you know what the Bible told you to do? Leave them on the ground. For who? The widow, the immigrant, the orphan, and the poor. You left it on the ground to care for the uncared for. That's in the Bible. So I spent like 10 minutes doing all that. And I'll never forget it. When I, the minute I said, and today we have a Christian sister who's an immigration attorney to talk to us about the boots on the ground, concrete realities of our immigrant brothers and sisters. And there was a family, a large family sitting in the third row. They got up. The husband threw his worship guide on the, on the, on the, on the, on the seat and they walked out. And I'll never forget, after the service, my son said, Hey, Dad, I guess they didn't want to hear about immigrants. And I had a chance to bear witness to the gospel of the kingdom of God in my son that day. What am I trying to say? What we decide to do is the witness we give. We bear witness to the hospitality of God and how we extend the hospitality of God bears witness to others. Our children need to be raised up in a church that welcomes the stranger with a kinship love. Now, if you're new here, we've been doing this as a church. We've been walking with people out of homelessness for about 10 years. So this isn't new for WCC. This is not a new conversation. You go listen to the first three months of sermons I preached in this church in 2010 of October and November, and you're going to find the same language. Nothing has changed. Because Jesus Christ, in Hebrews chapter 13, it says, is the same today as he was yesterday and will be tomorrow. So that's not going to change. But what now has changed is a concrete way of being able to do so. So on that note, grab your worship guide, if you will, please. A worship guide, page 246. All right, page 17. So we got a call thanks to Jason Thornton. Jason Thornton's one of our shepherds here. He's also the executive director of Literacy for Life. Literacy for Life is one of the most beautiful organizations I know of in this town, in this area that teaches our neighbors, our immigrant neighbors, our refugee and asylum-seeking neighbors, how to speak and learn and listen to English and get job training and get the resources they need. So Jason called Catholic Charities and Catholic Charities called me. 3E Restoration Incorporated, which is the nonprofit that equips, encourages, and empowers churches to be able to equip, encourage, and empower neighbors living through social displacement to find holistic sufficiency is also going to be a part of this conversation with us. But there are three, there are four things that we want to present to you as a leadership 
the elders and the shepherd's staff are fully behind this. We're behind this five years ago and behind this now, and we present this to you. We have some Afghan refugees who are coming. There are 15 who have already been told they'll be on this side of the peninsula just through one of the agencies. They are not here yet. We don't know, I don't know entirely where they are, but there are 15 at least right now on record. They will settle wherever there is housing. Housing in Williamsburg is a hot mess. Affordable housing in Williamsburg, James City County is about 1200 a month. The housing availability in James City County is very, very slim. What ended up happening is some of the landlords in town, very rightfully so, took advantage of a popping real estate market and sold the rentals. What that eliminated was rentals. So first option number one, we would like to be able to house a refugee family. But to do that is going to require housing. So here's my call to us. If any of you are a landlord, or if any of you know landlords, please get them in touch with me. I would love to see if there's something God can do in that. So number one. Number two, if we can't house somebody and somebody gets housed in some other way, because it could still happen, there may need to be a community who's willing to set up the apartment to provide all the things that make a house a home. That's option number two. This would entail putting light bulbs in the sockets and making sure the pantry's filled with food. We get lists and guidance from all of that. That's option number two. Skip option number three and go to option number four, if you would. And please don't read ahead with me. Stay with me. Option number four is that there might be a family who just needs to be sponsored. So they'll be case managed. What that means is the professional services they need will be handled by the agency that resettles them. So think about Catholic Charities, who we would partner with. That's one of the agencies. But they may need community support. They may need somebody to take them grocery shop and help them navigate Williamsburg, know where the parks are, know where the schools are, help them coordinate and connect to other Afghan neighbors so that they can still taste and experience their own culture and their own way of being in the world and their bodies and in their stories. They need a community of people who'd be willing to welcome them at any time, at all times, for anything. Maybe a ride here and there. That's sponsorship. We're open to all of it as a leadership. We want to know if you are. But what we want to present to you right now, that is the easiest thing to do, but that is actually one of the most important things to do for resettlement for Afghan neighbors is option number three. Necessary donations that are not covered by resettlement funding. So bikes and helmets are not, are not covered by funding. They have to be new because that's their only transportation. It has to be new for liability purposes. But the other thing we want to present to you, even more so than the bikes, are the rugs. Rugs are of significant um, meaning for Afghan neighbors. To us in our culture, a rug is a rug is a rug for many of us. It's just an extra item that we decorate a living room with if we have the option and the financial wherewithal to do so. In Afghan culture, it is the kitchen table. It is the couch. It is a place of meaning and family and purpose and community. It isn't just an item. It is a significant signpost of home. 
we want to provide the rugs. Because if we provide the rugs, it's like we're saying to our Afghan neighbors, like, we see you, and we want to honor you. We want to provide for you what you desperately not just want, but, but in your own story need. Now, these rugs have been vetted by Afghan case managers, so there's going to be a link sent out to everyone in Realm Monday. If you're not in Realm or you don't get emails from us, please email John so we can add you, not necessarily to Realm, but at least to the email listserv. And we're going to email a link, and that link is going to send you to the rugs that have been pre-selected. Those rugs are typically $580, but they're on sale for $189, tax, tag, and title, about $202 and some change. Here's what I realize. $202 and some change is a lot of money. And some of us will want to do this, and we just may not be able to share that burden on our own. So here's what we would like to present to you as an option. If you can't do it on your own, but you want to give 10, 15, 20, 5, 50, 100, Dollars, anything. College students, listen to me. This goes for you too. Five, ten, anything you want to give to this. Send me an email, fredligan at gmail.com. Send me an email and say, I want to be a part of a community to sponsor a rug. And what we'll do is we'll play match.com in church. We will match you up with other members of the church who want to do the same thing, and y'all will partner together, and you will buy a rug together. And then you'll write a card for that rug together. And then when that family is placed, we will all go, if you can go, deliver that rug together. Does that make sense? That way everybody gets to participate in this. So if you can't afford to do it on your own, send me an email, let me know. That is completely fine. It is a lot of money. Now, if you are of this place in your life where you can do more than just even one, I'm going to ask you to hold off for a minute. The Lord knows, let the Lord know. Let's see if we can get 15 rugs done. We need to provide 15 rugs. So church, can we do 15 rugs? Come on, can we? I think we can do 15 rugs. First gathering was in. Let's provide 15 rugs for 15 families. Now, here's the flip side. I got a call from a from a sister. Um, we talked Friday, uh, Sharon. She's such an incredible person. Um, there is a family who may need to be placed in this area. And if a family needs to be placed in this area, they have many family members in their family, then we may come around and see if we can provide some other concrete support for this as well. But we'll keep you posted on that. Here's the bottom line. Hospitality is not merely an ideal. Hospitality is not merely a belief we hold that we live into when it's convenient. Hospitality is not something that we do just because it aligns with our particular ideologies. Hospitality has to be a posture, a way of being in society that leads to tangible, concrete expressions of compassion, generosity, and solidarity. In other words, hospitality has to be practiced. Church, we have for 11 years, and before I even got here, we are a church who is committed to hospitality because we know that God is committed to us. We are committed to hospitality because God is committed to us. Every week we gather, we rehearse God's commitment. We have a tangible, embodied practice of God's commitment of hospitality. Every week we receive the bread that is the body, the cup that is the blood. 
Every week you receive the communion, the Eucharist, the supper, the body and the blood of Christ and the bread and the wine. Every week you receive it, you are receiving the hospitality of God. You are receiving God's welcome of you into God's life. And we're doing it together. No one is turned away. For all of us who have been Judas, you are welcome to stay. For all of us who have been Peter, you are welcome to stay. All are welcome to the table of the Lord because it's the Lord's table. But here's the challenge of the table. If we don't get to choose who sits at the Lord's table, then why do we think we get to choose who sits at our own? So when we receive the welcome of God, we are asking God to make us a more hospitable people. Y'all, this ain't politics. This ain't, this ain't party politics of the United States of America. This is the politics of the kingdom of God. And that transcends all. And we are welcomed into that life. Because we are a holy nation, a people for God's possession to proclaim the mighty deeds of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. 